0: This talk is about understanding change. Hellos and goodbyes. It's about this time in the retreat where we can really appreciate the teaching of the Buddha around anicca, or impermanence, because uh, one can really see and feel the uh, winds of change that are happening right now. Uh, So I think of this time as a time where the transition period as the P1 people leave and new P2 people come in and three month retreat people stay. uh, That's one aspect, but also four of the five teachers are leaving. And four new teachers are coming, so it's just uh, if you're if you're staying <laughs> through this time of change, sure. it's quite uh, quite a powerful learning experience in terms of transition times. And so transition times in our life, whenever they appear, are very poignant, and often the mind states or emotional states that come up for us can be uh, difficult mainly because we don't realize that intense transition times are difficult. You know, so it's, it's uh, really important to recognize this. Because you know, if we have the sense that it's not okay to be going through whatever's coming up in relationship to this time of change, <clears throat> then it's really hard to learn or grow from it. Uh, but if we get a sense of kind of holding on to the rails and going along with this process, we can learn a lot about how we relate to change, especially intense times of transition. So, if we look clearly at the least, you know, I know just walking into the building today and looking over at all the boxes, you know, there's a poignancy where people have packed and are about to leave. That's very intense. So, we teach. On a long retreat, uh, that sense of being mindful of the fleetingness of life, or the momentariness of, of life, uh, that teaching can really be helpful through this time, whether you're leaving or staying, in that so much of our investigation on a retreat, when we're quiet, tends to be around contact and separation contact at one of the six sense doors, and separation. And part of the process on an intensive long retreat is going through the realization of how fleeting life really is on a momentary level. So we're going through that same kind of experience, contact and separation, but at a transition time that becomes very... Uh, so intense that we often forget that it's just moments of change. One of the ways I think that we can learn to go through this time with some kind of dignity is to notice how we're relating to the outer change of nature right now. October uh, has a seductive quality of being so golden, uh, and the the dying and the changing of the the seasons is so ecstatically beautiful. You know, it, there's something that pulls us in so deeply to relate to that kind of change. It, it's kind of Unfathomable, really, that something that beautiful can happen, and yet be a time of dying. So all of the light, you know, comes back to us. All the light that the leaves have have um, absorbed all summer, in the warmth, you know, just shines out one last time before they go. And here we are, already. You know, P one. What happened to it? You know, where did it go? It just happens so fast. it's like time evaporates, and here we are with all the needles of the pine trees, mostly on the ground, and a kind of dull rust color, no longer shiny or golden. I think of November as a time of kind of a smoky ash. It's like gray ashes. Uh, and the light is very soft uh, but if you look into the woods it has a kind of smoky sheen that's like the fire in, the, in the, um, the land has has turned to ashes. And part of the power in staying on through this is that you start to see the undressed aspect of nature, you start to be able to see more deeply into the woods in the way that you haven't been able to see before. And that's the same thing that will happen inside. It's like in the next six weeks for you, there'll be a a shedding, you know, it's an undressing. You'll see more deeply than ever. It's just like in the outer way seeing more deeply the contours of the land and what's really underneath you know, the surface of the, the trees, the leaves. So just that, to let you know if you don't know, uh, Guy and Sarah and Steve and I are leaving and Sharon and Carol And Fred and Marcia are coming in. And I think they're supposed to mostly all show up (laughs) tomorrow so you'll get a sense of uh, who's here and how that's happening. Part of the power of creating an intensive retreat, you know, because that word intensive, can really get clearer <laughs> in this time of change on the retreat, uh, happens, the intensity happens because of the silence. And it always amazes me how much we get to know each other, how close we get to each other without talking. You know, So without even knowing it, you usually know the mood of people around you, you, know, you notice when somebody isn't in the place that they usually are when they're in the dining room, or maybe they come late to dining room. Or you, know, you really get to know people, even though we're not talking, in a way that family gets to know each other in the early years of our life. It's like the knowledge, the silent knowledge of each being penetrates to our, through our bones. You know, family is like bones this is a dharma or dhamma family and we know each other deeply Uh, so if we're able to recognize this and let the heart be touched by this the connection that we feel with each other, the interconnection uh, when the, the people some of the people leave usually the heart hurts you know the the mind door, you know, the ear door receives sounds. The mind door receives uh, emotion, emotional feeling, as well as thoughts. And it's a kind of information that we can learn to be mindful of. so it's possible that if you really get in touch with the care that you have for each other, and that's through all the difficulty. It's the family care where even somebody who drove you crazy, you'll probably miss them. <laughs> you know, it's ironic, but you know the people that uh, have been our um, most difficult person tends to be a big loss when they leave, and then the same with someone that we have been more. Uh, attracted to. It's like there'll be this feeling of, you know, loss and sadness when they leave. Uh, So try not to block that, you know, or think that something is wrong, Uh, that somehow it's an indication that you're not detached enough or not seen clearly. That's not the case. The case is that if these feelings come up, just to be mindful of them. So love can hurt if the heart feels it feels the pain of contact separation and the teaching is really to bring this balance of deep care and deep non-attachment to our relationship to change contact separation so if you find that there are moments often i know on retreats when there's a change like this um, that it's often when i'm concentrated the most concentrated and i'm not expecting it and maybe i'm walking through one of the dorms and i see somebody's suitcase and it just it's like it it just hits me you know it goes in that feeling of the power of change it's just that intuitive understanding that i might never see that person again which is the truth So it might be that you're tired and, you know, you're grumpy and you don't even care that people are leaving. You know, that'll be a mind state that you have too. Or maybe you don't feel anything. You know, you'll have that range of indifference or numbness or deep care or just neutral. With the heart engaged, there can be an equanimity as well. Things are as they are. If you feel like uh, you're holding on to the rails during this change and it feels like it's too difficult, it's really helpful to do compassion practice or metta practice. And it's just caring for your heart and and all of our hearts in this process or sending metta to yourself or metta to each other. Uh, That that kind of um, ability to love and to say goodbye is what we learn in Vipassana practice. And it'll be most useful at this transition time. Taking refuge in the Sangha is a powerful understanding. And when we leave a place like this, even though we might really want to leave, you know, some some of the P1 people might be just ready to go and happy to be leaving. Or maybe there's the ambivalence. You know, maybe we want to stay, but we also want to go. Or it could be, for some people, I know that you don't want to go. You know, that you feel like you'd rather stay. We often miss the feeling of connection with Sangha and the protection of a place like this. It's like literally... Not as protected if you go into a 7-Eleven, you know. It just, it just doesn't have the same quality. (laughs) Now you might luck out and find a nice person to talk to, but you know, generally, it's hard. Um, I remember leaving. I think it was last year. I did a self retreat and um, didn't have time to integrate at all. Didn't have time to talk to anyone left after about a month and um, was walking into the Hartford Airport, there was a man behind the counter that was so kind to me, I started crying. You know, I was just so open. And it was just, he he was being sort of normally connecting and kind, but it just touched me so much that the first being that I ran into was that way because the next five weren't, you know. (laughs) Yeah, it was such a good start. Uh, And then on the airplane, um, I was really grieving a lot because my sister was so sick. Uh, She has cancer and I didn't get to visit her. Uh, And as I was flying over where she lives in Pennsylvania I started crying again. And I was surprised at the kind of amount of feeling that was happening. And the uh, the steward on the airplane had just given me some food. And I started, I just started crying. (laughs) And he said, don't you like the food? (laughs) And then, you know, I hadn't talked to anybody, right? So I'm really ready to talk. So I said, oh, my sister's dying. And, you know, and he just was so kind, you know. And you'll find that range where people will really be there for you and you'll be so touched by it. And then you'll feel that hardness of people really having to shut down and not be connected and feel the pain of it. You'll be more aware of that, the people that are leaving. It requires a lot of gentleness. I'm sure people have said this to you already. um, But just remember you're really quiet and you're leaving a very protected environment, often we're just more sensitive than we're used to being. And there are people out there that will really appreciate the space you're in. And there are others (laughs) that really won't. And that's that range again of the human world. Early on in my years of practicing, I found leaving retreats quite difficult because where I lived uh, was very far away from any kind of Dharma scene and Dharma people. Uh, There was one six week retreat that I left that uh, it was so hard to leave the the protection and the feeling of refuge with Sangha uh, that I had to keep reminding myself something that uh, a teacher named Deepama told me once when I was leaving. Uh, I had I had been expressing to her how hard it was to live away from any place where there was sangha, uh, and she didn't have a lot of compassion for me. You know, she was really um, stern and firm. She said, "The Dharma is everywhere." No empathy. You know, it was just like, you know. You better get this. <laughs> you know, this is it. The Dharma is everywhere. Uh, and it was quite a, an important teaching for me, especially when it's been hard to leave the protection and the, the refuge that I feel with, with like-minded people. You know, that yes, the Dharma is everywhere. And you'll find uh, generosity, you'll find kindness, you'll find um, renunciation, you'll find aspects of the teachings wisdom everywhere there's a Native American Ojibwe song, part of it that I find helpful uh when I get discouraged, when I'm away from sangha and I can't find like-minded people, which is sometimes I go about pitying myself and all the time great winds are carrying me across the sky. You know, it's often hard to tell where we really are in life and what we're doing. Uh, And there can be times when we Uh, feel so lonely or sad about not being with people that understand this aspect of ourselves, you know, giving birth to wisdom and compassion and can articulate it in this way. So we have to realize that there's a gratefulness that we can experience for being together and also... um, also, knowing that there are great winds carrying us across the sky when we don't have that. I taught in a <coughs> school system up in northern Maine in different ways. I taught in a kind of like a one room schoolhouse for a while, but I also uh, taught learning disabilities for children from kindergarten to fourth grade uh, and I really felt like I was from Mars in the school system it 's like it was really straight I mean it was like reading, writing, and arithmetic, and you know slap your knuckles with a ruler if you don 't shape up uh, so i didn 't fit. <laughs> In the situation at all. It was like I was in disguise. Uh, and there was one teacher, I think he was a fifth grade teacher, that whenever I came into the school in the morning, it was incredible. He'd look at me and you know say really loud, you know, like all the kids would be around and the teachers were around. He'd say, Michelle, what you need is a big Mac. <laughs> <laughs> It was just, that was his answer to, you know, my being so different, is that if I only would eat a McDonald's hamburger, you know, I could somehow assure them that I was like them. You know, it was just, he was searching or groping for anything that would, you know, connect him to me in some way. (laughs) It was hard. You know, there are places where, maybe not all of us, but there are places where some of us end up after a retreat like this, where it takes a lot of inner strength to be in the world and not have a lot of, um, you know, on the surface, understanding of what we're doing in our lifetime. You know, but I saw over the course of my years there, you know, that, that the teachers, I mean, the students, it was fine, but the teachers and the principal of the school, that we all found a meeting ground, you know, it took, it took some time but we could find a place where we did have um, a deep meeting. For those of us that are staying you know there are those who are staying for the three months I want to share a story that some of you know already from hearing me share this in the past Um, but my most um, powerful time here at IMS at a change like this was in 1984, and I'd been sitting two and a half months with Sayada Upandita. It was Saida Upandita's first uh, trip to the United States, and it was quite a serious course. And if you can imagine, there were just 20 of us, 20 people sitting for two and a half months. You know so just and, and really quiet, just very quiet. Uh, Joseph and I shared the lower walking room. He was in one room on one side and I was in the room across from the bathroom. And I stayed down there a lot. You know, not only was it quiet, but that I also just kind of stayed very um, quiet down there. Uh, so, two and a half months into the retreat I let led in 85 people. And I didn't know that it was going to happen. Um, And it was so, I mean, I can't tell, you. it was almost like that lady stepping on my foot and breaking the foot, you know, it was like, it was just so, it was hard to describe, but um, it was so overwhelming and so unacceptable that the only thing I could think of doing, when I could feel the energy, it was like I didn't even see it, I could just feel this wave of energy coming into IMS. Uh, And I went down to the boiler room. You know, if you're quiet here, you can hear the heartbeat of IMS. It's like poop, and it's all coming from the heart center of the IMS, which is the boiler room. Uh, so I just went down there and just stayed next to the boiler for the day. You know, it's just like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and just trying to figure out. You know, I didn't even know what was wrong. You know, I just knew that I couldn't, you know, get away from the boiler. Uh, <laughs> It was kind of like going back into the womb and leaning up against my mother's heart. You know, it was just like, I couldn't think of anything else that would work, you know, and I couldn't even name what was wrong. It was so weird. Uh, And then late at night, probably around two or three in the morning, I dared, you know, surface, you know, I hadn't eaten that day. I just kind of stayed down there and I dared surface and I kind of went up to the, um, bulletin board and Steve had left me a little note, just a teeny tiny note and we hadn't left notes for each other so that was kind of different, you know, and I reached up and you know, opened it it was like Christmas getting this little note and I opened it up and it said four words the barbarians are here laughter <laughs> You know, and it was so helpful. It was like, it (laughs) it was like, oh, the barbarians are here. (laughs) That's what's wrong. You know, (laughs) and I started to be able to work with, you know, what had happened. You know, it was just an invasion, basically an invasion of barbarians. (laughs) You know, so try to, Well, probably, maybe, it depends on what type you are, but if you are the type that I am, when you feel this wave of energy come in tomorrow, you know, they're not, they're really, it takes so much (laughs) It'll feel like barbaric, you know. (laughs) They're gonna be slamming doors and, you know, they're going to take your place in the dining room, they're going to take your walking place. They might take your zafu, you know. <laughs> it's really hard. It's like um, And it requires a certain amount of patience. Uh because you'll miss the people that were here. You know, even the most difficult ones will become these idealized, you know <laughs> they'll become icons of virtue, you know. <laughs> uh and the comparison and the judging. Uh you know, you'll look at how they're eating and how much food they take and you know, it's just it'll go on and on. How they walk, how they sit, uh And just try to have that sense of whatever's happening. And then there'll be the sense of, well, who's that? You know, there'll be the pleasant feeling and the attraction and having to go through getting used to a whole new group of people. Now, I can say, you know, keep your eyes down, but that's not going to be the whole thing because just the hearing and the sounds uh, and the people moving in and out of the dorms, it's like one thing to remember is how hard it is to get ourselves here. And it takes so much energy for people in the world like we went through to get here but you'll forget that already and then they're just going to come in here with their foot on the gas Uh, but one of the great things about people coming in in the middle of the retreat is that they catch the mindfulness it's like catching a cold you know it's like they it's so powerful this the silence in here you'll forget because you're in it but most people who i've talk to, who come in here to visit, they're just astounded by how quiet it is in here. And for people that don't know about the practice, it can be intimidating. You know, it's so quiet. So give it a few days, you know, just this, this, this um, time of transition. Remember, you know, whatever's coming up is okay, and to kind of lay low. And if you don't feel like coming in to the main crowded areas as people come in, just kind of walk outside. In the next few days, just try to remember, um, of course, you know, hold on to your mindfulness practice. You know, use it you'll need it more than ever. But also remember the metta and the compassion practice. Uh, And you'll find that in terms of the human world and learning about relating to each other, there's nothing like this time period for staff, for teachers, for yogis. Uh, It's the best for learning about how we relate to change and with each other. If you're staying or if you're leaving, protect your practice. Often when we leave a retreat, uh, there are things that we remember later that have had the most impact on us. And they're not always the things that we thought it might be. In the Burma retreat that I teach now in Upper Burma with Sayadaw Ulakana, there was a a young man, a son of a, a dear friend of ours who came, and he's about 26 and came from a very hopped up life in the city of New York, you know, really a city rat and had spent many years there. So the shift from his life in New York City to this monastery in Upper Burma was a bit, you know, of a challenge, you know, of (laughs) slowing down into it. and Everyone in the retreat could see how restless he was. uh, And there was even one night where uh, you're not supposed to leave the monastery and they were on these loudspeakers uh there was a party all night, a big party. You could tell the whole village was partying. Uh, when it, it has an impact when you're sitting in a retreat. If you can imagine sitting here and hearing an all-nighter, you know, it, <laughs> invading your ear door at all times, uh, all night. Uh, so he snuck out to go to the, to find the party. <laughs> 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 and and the, the, every village person told him to go back to the monastery. And you know, it was amazing. They don't even speak English, and they would just, you know. <laughs> you know, and can you, you can just see the difference in, Bo- in a Buddhist culture. It's like, they all knew who he was. They'd never seen him and knew who he was. They knew what he was doing there, and they told him to go back. You know, that's amazing in and of itself. And that was the first kind of big teaching for him there, was just, whoa, you know, and it kind of, brought him deeper inside and then um, I had told him that he needed to bring, you know, actual cash into Burma and he didn't believe me and he brought a credit card, you know, which, it you know, they don't work in Burma, you know, this is, you know, he just would show his credit card and, you know, it just isn't what people want. <laughs> and so we had to uh, get his mother to send some money in with somebody. Uh, and this person gave it to him, and he immediately lost it. It was like three or four hundred dollars. I know it was three hundred dollars, and he dropped it. Uh, the thing he remembers most about the retreat, and you know that's amazing because it was three weeks, uh, eight precepts, long schedule, a lot of discipline. Um, he went through a lot, uh, but there are these two sweepers who uh, swept the ground at the monastery. And I figured that $300 was six years' wages for them. Six years' wages, and they returned it to him. And for him, you know, that had more impact, you know, than anything. You know, it's still, I took a picture of them for him and gave it to him recently. You know, and his eyes just tear up. It's like coming from New York City. (laughs) You know, that's just such a shock. Um, so remember that on retreat, it's not always what happens on the cushion that has the most impact for us. We don't, we don't know what it's going to be, but I can assure you that it's often powerful. Uh, So I thought maybe we could um, do a little metta for about 10 or 15 minutes. And as Steve talks about that ember in the heart, you know, if there's any spark of feeling or warmth in your heart to just just tune into that warmth that you feel for everyone here. And knowing that this group of people, this teachers, staff, and students, all of us, We'll never be together in the same way again. And can we feel the gratitude of sharing this practice and the truth so deeply together? And even though some people are going, some people are staying, can we wish each other well? So just practicing that pure wish for yourself first, tuning into your own body and seeing if you can receive the loving kindness that you're sending to yourself. giving birth to loving kindness, understanding, connectedness. May I be happy just as I am May I be peaceful with whatever is happening. May I love myself completely. May I be safe and protected from inner and outer harm. May I be happy and peaceful of heart. May I be strong and healthy of body. May I take care of myself happily while living on this earth. Seeing if you can fill yourself up with well wishes. Like an empty glass fills with water. with your neighbor to your right, sitting to your right, or the person in front or behind you. Just seeing if that loving kindness or well wishes could spill over to your neighbor. May you be safe and protected. May you be happy and peaceful. May you be strong and healthy. May you take care of yourself happily. And then with your neighbor to your left or in front or behind you. Just as I want to be happy, so may you be happy. Just as I want to be peaceful, so may you be peaceful. Just as I want to be liberated, so may you be liberated. If you can, having that sense of this well wishing spill over to all of us in this room, seen and unseen, receiving the loving kindness being sent to us And then extending that out around to all the staff, yogis, teachers. And remembering our sangha includes the chickadees and chipmunks. the dogs, cats, or birds, deer, flies, all the beings, and if anyone or any being here has harmed us, we work with forgiveness. If we've harmed anyone or any being here, including ourselves, we work with forgiveness. I'd like to end with a chant that came to me during this time of my sister's illness that is like a very quick Ramavihara chant. And especially for those of you who are leaving, it's helpful to know just one little thing to say, one little touchstone and this chant is a tune I heard when I was in Burma each time, where the monks and nuns chant this, chant for seven days and seven nights, nonstop, they take turns. And it's a beautiful tune, which I'm a bit of a sucker for. So I put this to this tune. So the first part of it is something, it's very simple, just one line. May we be happy and peaceful. And may we know things are just as they are. That's it. But it's quite helpful just to keep that balance of care and love and non-attachment. And then you can add the other Brahma Viharas. So each line has equanimity in it to keep the balance. May we be happy and peaceful and may we know things are just as they are. May we care about each other's suffering and may we know things are just as they are. May we appreciate the joy in each other's lives And may we know things are just as they are. May we be happy and peaceful. And may we know things are just as they are.